0: Hello everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Race Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we are well and truly into the offseason. A ton of roster moves in the last week or so. And to break all of those down and more is the co-host of the Who's On Worst podcast and senior writer at dRaisebay.com, Darby Robinson. Darby, welcome to the offseason. Some would argue that this is your favorite time of the season. Um, kind of the mixing and matching. So, are, are you enjoying the flurry of of roster moves that have that have come
1: through today? It's definitely a fun time of year, right? It's there's stuff happening. There's just mystery and mystery boxes, and being like, "What does this mean? What does this mean?" Well, what could be here? And it's there is a level of fun uh, to this, especially this deadline, which is fairly inconsequential, um, but a lot of Moving pieces, so there's like a lot of things to be like, ooh, ooh, what's this? What's this now? Um, But ultimately, nothing like crazy earth shattering. But like, it's like a little, uh, you know, appetizer. It's a, it's a, it's a small, like, course to get us into the 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 food before the main course comes out later this winter.
0: And I, I think also what I love about the off season and in debating and talking about these moves is that there's no on-field results right now to, like, back up or go against what we say on this podcast. And we can say that the, the the trades the Rays made today were terrible, and they're going to tank the roster. But by the time April rolls around, like, we'll all have forgotten what we said back in, in November, and and these roster moves will probably end up being as inconsequential as they seem. But we're still going to talk about them, because there were there were some significant moves and some— at least three significant pieces of this, like I, I've I've tried to break the ra- the history of race baseball down into chapters in this last chapter that, that maybe we're still in or this most recent chapter, uh, three big pieces of that chapter now no longer with the organization. Um, so I think uh, we'll start with, with Kevin Kiermaier. Um, we've talked a lot about him on this podcast, but now officially the option was declined. He is a free agent. And it sounds like uh, he he will not be coming back to the Rays. Um, so Darby, now, now that it's official, final thoughts on the departure of Kevin Kiermeyer, who was that? Uh, who was the longest tenured Ray?
1: I think it's 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 an interesting moment because it it's a big like loss. I mean, it's like a, it's a he he was the face of the franchise for for a, a section of time. You know, post Longmire. Uh, Longoria Longmire. there you go like a Will minds. Myers Freudian slip there Kiermaier Will Myers <laughs> Evan Longoria like that searching for the next Longoria but no that that was the case like he was kind of the the most notable most known uh face on the team best looking well, arguably other glass I, probably inarguably through. until Tyler Glass so yeah that's that's when the the actual arguments could begin but uh he he Highlight reel, uh, human highlight film, basically, that one of the finest defensive center fielders I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, I think he is going to be a guy that you remember up there with like your Andrew Joneses that are just like that, that guy is the smoothest, you know, center field, just just amazing impact in the game defensively and highlights that will be remembered in baseball lore for for decades to come. But it also is an odd time because it, it just sort of feels like this was a It's not a uh, a, a swift divorce. It's not something that comes out of nowhere and blindsides the fans in a lot of ways. It really felt like almost a very mature two people, just they're going in different paths now and that's okay. And, And that's where we're at because there was this sort of during the season, Kiermaier gets injured, the Rays trade for Jose Siri. They have a goodbye video package Kiermeyer's doing announcing, he's going around the stadium. You know, we we talked about that. Like there was this sort of like farewell moment. And it does feel like the team and Kiermeyer kind of really were open and honest about like the situation. And like when this news kind of came out that they were, you know, declining his option as they expected. There was immediately a very well-produced, you know, poster and video package and a video package from Kiermaier. And like, there was a, a lot of this like sort of build up, like, you know, thank you for everything, which is which is great. And I kind of love that there was this opportunity to kind of say goodbye almost like as a retirement, except for he's still playing, because this is like a, like you said, it's a chapter. It's a, a, a big chapter in Ray's history. And Kiermaier forever will be, I think remembered in, in Ray's lore. and, well, and so He was he's... in that,
0: he was in the previous chapter, the one before, like he was, and I, and I always try to cut him, him and him and Chris Archer were one, two, the first thing I'll say is two of the best Rays of all time in terms of players and, and what they brought on the field, but also like two of the most divided amongst the fan base or, or, or controversial. And I think a lot of that is because they were both the best players on some some bad Rays teams. Uh, And it wasn't like a period It wasn't like the Devil Rays days where like the Rays had never been good. They were like the faces of the franchise. You still had Evan Longoria there. But this was like this new era of the Rays. BJ Upton was gone. James Shields was gone. David Price was gone. And it was like Kiermaier and Archer were left to, you know, bring the Rays into this new generation. And it never really worked. Now, Kiermaier ultimately got to be a part of the team that went to the World Series, but um, I, I, I always just thought if, if Kiermaier had been part of the, the, the golden generation raised days, those 08 to 2012 years, probably would have been a lot more beloved by fans and had he maybe started in 2018 or 19 with the team and played through these years, um, through his prime fans might feel the same way. Cause I, I think fans are for the most part, like Kevin Kiermaier res- respect and admire, um, what he brought to the team, but he's probably one of the most divisive players in franchise history.
1: Well, and to your point, it is interesting, you know, kind of looking through, you know, his his, his like, you know, Fangraphs page, his stat page, like his peak years where he both hit, you know, pretty well, and was the best defensive center fielder in all of baseball. Uh, he had a three-year stretch, you know, four uh 4.3 uh, wins above replacement, 3.6, 3.6, you know, three years in a row. And there's two of those years where, where injury uh, kind of shortened. He had only played a hundred games, but that was 2015, 2016 and 2017. Not exactly years that were remember. Those are the, you know, Joe Madden is gone. Andrew Friedman is gone. It's the Matt Silverman era, but like kind of a transition era where they're kind of keeping the seat warm for Eric Neander, but he's not there yet. It's, Kevin Cash is it, a young manager. Brand new, yeah. So it's it's like a growing pain. It's the growing pains era, basically. And so his best stuff is during an era where wins don't really matter and everybody's just trying to figure it out. And then, then you know, he's he's like hurt and comes back, and you get good Kiermaier. Like he's not a, he was never a bad player. He was just maybe never as good as he once was. And you still have you have a platinum glove season in there, but it's in 2019 where the team is just about to break through. Mm-hmm. It's getting good. They get to the you know postseason. They they lose to the Astros, but you get one of the one of maybe Kiermaier's best highlights of all time as one part of the, the the amazing relay throw to get Altuve at home. You then have 2020, where he's still really good defensively, but it's a shortened season. It's a little weird. There's no fans. And then the last two years... It's just, a home run in the World Series, though. He has, a, he has a home run. He has some good moments in the... I mean, there's still great moments, but it's he is the top player or near the top player on years that didn't matter. And then he becomes a guy who has good moments but isn't the guy anymore during the years that they become good again and it's and it's to no fault of his own really it's just you know injuries his his batting never quite got back to that level as it once was he had tons of bad luck with injuries including this year but you know what a what an unfortunate way for his last season to go. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where, and I think by by comparison, the the guy we're about to talk about next had the, the had the opposite thing. He started when the Rays were just on the upswing, so and that's that's G Man Choi.
0: Yes, and and I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because I was going to ask you, what is your most memorable G Man Choi moment? Like you'll look you you think back ten years from now on the G Man Choi. On His tenure with the Rays, what's that first
1: memory for you? Oddly enough, it's the it's the Brad Hand home run. Ah, Um, you stole mine. Okay. Oh, it was. Okay. It was the Brad Hand home run. That's I mean, a two out, two strike home run, I believe it was two strike. It felt like it was down to the to nothing. And Brad Hand at the time was really good. Mm -hmm. It was during the like Brad Hand has gone from like good to bad, like pretty much oscillating every year for the last like, I feel like 10 years, but this was during one of the great Brad Hand years. And it was like, an it was, it was a ball. The game was over. And then G Man Choi hits a home run, walk off, come from behind, going from down to up to win the game. I just remember his celebration, the, the like the fist pump, the mm-hmm. it, it just phenomenal. Just that's, that's
0: great. A couple of things happened there. He went from one just being the guy the Rays got in the Brad Miller trade to like being a, a player. That, and, and he had had a, you know, he'd contributed before that and, and definitely did after that. But that was when I think he kind of cemented himself as part of the team. But it was also a moment that I look back on. And in my head, it kind of clicked like this team is good. Like this team is is special. This core group of players, like you said, that would ultimately Get back. They didn't get to the postseason in 2018. They won 90 games, um, which is when Troy hit that home run. I believe it was, was it Cleveland that the Rays were chasing um, throughout the month of September? And it, you know for a while there, it looked like they might have a chance and ultimately came up short. But then in 2019, you, you go to the postseason and you go to the World Series the very next year, win 100 games the year after that. So for so that three-year stretch, um, but it felt like that, that Troy walk-off really, kind of catapulted the Rays back into into national relevance um, because, you know, going into 2018, like every projection model had the Rays finishing last in the American League East. And the fact mm-hmm. that they won 90 games, they still finished in third place, but they won 90 games um, w- was a huge accomplishment. And it only got better after that. So, yeah, that that's because I know a lot of people look back to like the G. Montroy chance in the ALDS against Houston. And the the fun memories of that series, even though that was a loss, but those two games at the Trop, uh, I think, are looked back on very fondly. Um, and, and Troy had a lot of other great moments. But, yeah, like, for example, hitting a home run right-handed. Um, he's a left-handed hitter, <laughs> um, but he comes off the bench. Great. And, um, he had been experimenting with switch hitting and hits a home run. Like, and it wasn't like a wall scraper. It wasn't over the little cutout um, in 162 landing. Like It was a moonshot from the right side of the plate.
1: That was the moment, the, the right-handed home run. That was the moment where I was like, I, it, it was like almost like peak Ray's magic. Like if yeah. this guy becomes a switch hitter, an effective <laughs> switch hitter out of literally nowhere, you know, like we had heard the rumors that so he was like experimenting, but it's like, what, what is even happening right now? Because <laughs> he had always had a pretty strong platoon split. He was, he was always, G-Man Choi during his tenure with the Rays, the Rays always had one of the best first basemen in baseball, and half of that was G-Man Choi yeah. because you basically put him against righties. He was alongside of the platoon, and you put him with like Yandy Diaz or or anybody else that's like a lefty masher. Eventually, like you know, you had like Jordan Luplo. You had uh, a kind of a, per, a, a, a kind of revolving door of mm-hmm. right-handed lefty smashers because you only are facing you know a third of the the pitchers in baseball um, or less. And that pairing, that platoon was always one of the most effective it was a it was a top 10 first baseman every single year and that's impressive that's great but then if it's like oh wow is g-man gonna become a switch hitting like elite power guy and no ultimately not and that experiment kind of almost messed up his swing for a bit and it kind of like hurt his ear a little bit but like that was still an amazing moment so yeah i mean g-man uh that that trade obviously again it's it's another one where it's like you kind of knew it was coming um, he he had struggled down the the stretch for the raise and and first base is a, it's a position that you can definitely upgrade. There's a lot of options on on the market uh, that that could be a big impact guy. you even have people in the roster that you could maybe switch over and then upgrade elsewhere. So it's not shocking to move on from that, but it's still it is still like closing a chapter. it is it is still a, I think a I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily call it a sad moment, but it's definitely like I, I think people can absolutely every right to be in their feels about this. Like this is, you know, these are these are pretty fun kind of larger than life Rays players that uh, that have played their last games with the team, and and it, and it is like a little emotional. And but at the end of the day, he
0: played four and a half seasons with the Rays, and that's 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 more than than most. I mean, not, not just the Rays who. I guess, are kind of infamous for, you know, having players for short tenures. But really, for any place in baseball to play for four and a half seasons is impressive. Um, And, yeah, it it was sad. And I want to talk in a second about potential, you know, what the plan is for first base this season. But um, the return for that was, and he was traded to the Pirates. uh, The return was right-handed pitcher Jack Hartman, who I do got to give a shout-out. Um, his his freshman year of college, he played uh, as an infielder at Tallahassee Community College, which is the school I work at. He was was an okay infielder, but clearly um, we, we didn't pitch him, and that was his path to to the pros, path to getting drafted in the fourth round. He went on to College of Central Florida, another junior college, and then played at Appalachian State for a couple of years. Um, was picked in the fourth round by the Pirates, and he's coming off a of Tommy John surgery. His numbers haven't looked great in the minors, but... I think this is like you like the stuff and you're going to take a chance. And what I will say for, for those that were expecting, I think, a bigger return for a player like Choi, um, who, who is still a productive big leaguer. Everybody in baseball knew that if the Rays didn't trade Choi, uh, they, they weren't going to tender him a contract, whether they DFA'd him or just non-tendered him. He was going to be available. Um so the Pirates really just got first dibs by offering um an, an an interesting pitcher that I I don't know much about but I saw some people kind of complaining that oh why isn't the return any bigger everybody knew that he was he was not going to be with the Rays you 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 kind of lose all leverage at that point but the Pirates were interested in him and I think uh, rightly so as a rebuilding team get another proven big league bat um who's on you know the wrong side of 30 but you can DH him now in the National League Um, you know, he's had some injury problems, so give his legs a a few extra days off, but he can also still play a really good first base. So I think it kind of works out for all parties involved and hopefully Choi can be a part of, you know, their turn to success, much like he was uh, with the race. Um, Darby first base next year. And I want to get. this is mostly about the 40 man roster this episode. Um, but we're going to talk about like kind of future off season plans and how the Rays are going to move into the winter. Um, I've, I, I said like a year ago when I, when I thought Troy wasn't coming back for 2022, uh, maybe more than a year ago that Brandon Lau would play first base for the Rays in the near future. Looking like that's like more of a possibility. Now that Troy is gone, you've also got Yanni Diaz who played really exclusively third base. Isak Paredes, Jonathan Aranda, or ex free agent slash trade. What are your thoughts on the first base position um, going into twenty three?
1: I think it's the area where the Rays are going to look to upgrade, but I also there is some interesting ways to kind of fall back too. I, I think it's like you you look at you look at Yandi or Paredes. You look at there was that report. Yeah. From Topkin about Brandon Lau, which is interesting because I think defensively he's a better second baseman than Jonathan Randa. That's, that's for sure. But
0: he's also got a bad back now,
1: but with the back, you also think like, okay, a little easier to, to play first. I know some people have sort of said like his size would be a problem. Yeah. No, who cares? No. Joey
0: Wendell's not playing third anymore. So I don't worry about like these throws that make like that got Troy hurt a couple of times.
1: Yeah, I think I think in overall, like it, I don't know, second base has some pretty gnarly spills too. That probably has more gnarly contact than first base does. So yeah. I I'm not too worried about that. I think Lau as a first baseman could totally work, and it does open up some interesting things. If you say you don't like Jose Abreu's price or his declining power, which is very fair actually to not like both of those things. Um, I think he's still potentially an interesting player, but maybe you're like, "Ah, I don't really love betting on a 36-year-old to have to give two years to who just had his worst power year ever. Flashbacks of Nelson Cruz just, Mm -hmm. you know, ringing uh, alarm bells. So you go, okay, uh, maybe we can upgrade at second base or third base, or we just move Lau over, and now you have Paredes, you have Aranda, as a platoon at second base, maybe that works. Maybe you upgrade a DH or corner outfield, and now you're able to get Paredes at bats who needs them. Yanni Diaz, maybe you don't trade him because you value him more than the rest of the league does. And suddenly now have a little bit more of a impact on the offense. But I, I still think they're going to look at ways to upgrade at first base. You got guys like Brandon Belt. You have a Br- Jose Abreu out there. Um, You could look to try to trade for like a Christian Walker. You could try to look to uh, sign other guys that maybe don't play first base or haven't really played first base, like Michael Brantley, and decide, hey, you've also been injured. Maybe we'll just put you at first base, even though it's a pretty solid outfielder too. Um, I think the Rays have done that before, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again. But I think Brandon Lau could absolutely get some time at first base and if the Rays see Brandon Lau's health as a improvement at first rather than second then I think that could be a huge bonus for that because Brandon Lau's bat is essential to this team it's a huge impact bat and any way you can keep that in the lineup more that would be worth it but I still think first base there's a lot of really fun options out there I, you know, I've long loved Brandon Belt, and he's still out there. And mm. maybe it's not the right spot, but it does feel like it, a, a guy that the Rays have been sort of circling for many, many years. But we'll see. I, I, I don't. I think the first base spot being open right now without Choi, I'm very comfortable with that, and I'm also very excited to see what happens.
0: I, I think you go big here, and and again, I think there are concerns about Abreu, but that is a signing that I would i would welcome
1: um i would love to have a jose abreu he still hit doubles He still he had one of his best walk rate years and he also lowered his k rate so Mm -hmm. that is a big that is a big thing is with no power it wasn't oh his bat speed is slowed down so everything you know no power in higher strikeouts is really bad that's a sign that the bat's gone that's what happened with nelson cruz especially this last year with with, uh, Nats. But so, so I will say, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage Jose Abreu. So continue. I,
0: so I, I think you go big and if you don't get, you know, the, you know, last year they went for Freddie Freeman, right. Um, if you don't get that, that big fish, then you just get, you, you play with what you got. You, you work, uh, a Brandon Lowe out there, Jonathan Aranda, who, um, does not look like a good defensive second baseman. Maybe he can figure it out at, at first base. Like, uh, like Luis Rise did. I think they kind of moved him to first to figure out that was the best spot for him to get in the lineup. Um, Paredes, Yanni Diaz, you you kind of, I do think you want to get someone that you, you, you're not having a different player there every night. I know the Rays like to do that in other positions, but I do think you want to have someone that becomes your, not everyday first baseman, but plays a good chunk of games there. Um, but yeah, if you, I, I wouldn't, I don't know. Brandon Belt would be interesting. I would like that. Um, but don't, uh, I mean, not that the Rays would, but don't just go and get whatever first baseman because they're they're a free agent. So I'm interested to see what happens there. Moving on, Brendan McKay, former first round pick number four overall pick in the 2017 draft out of Louisville, two-way player, got up to the big leagues in the 2019 season, but since then has been injured over and over and over again. Um, pretty sad, but ultimately was was placed on on waivers cleared waivers and then was released uh ultimately as a as a minor league player so yeah brendan mckay uh, can we officially call him a, a bust at this point darby
1: i mean sure yeah <laughs> I, I i think it's about as, as big of a bust as you can get um it's it's one of those unfortunate things though because it's like it's all kind of injuries it's And you look back to
0: his time at Louisville when he was like kind of just ridden until the the wheels would fall off. And then
1: college baseball pitchers, just what a, what a inhumane (laughs) meat grinder of an industry. Um, It's, it's really funny looking back because Brandon McKay, uh, Brandon McKay was like supposed to be like the highest like floor guy, like the guy that's the least likely to bust. Like he won't be a bust. He'll definitely be at least a solid major leaguer. Either as a pitcher or as a hitter. Turns out not so much. And he had like a like he had a nice debut. He had like some fun. Like, oh, this guy could be something, but and he looked yeah. good at that first season. I know like the numbers weren't super great, but like there was some promising
0: stuff there. The pitching
1: wise, he was just this guy that could command so many pitches and had mm-hmm. so much control. And that was huge. Like that was the advanced level thing. Like maybe the pitchability wasn't there, but the but he could just command everything like a perfect for
0: like backhand starter at the big league level
1: exactly plus with with a a nice power bat so you had like a again you know that poor man's Shohei Otani and when
0: and when the you know MLB rewrote the rules for Shohei where you can leave the game as a pitcher and then automatically you become the DH you know Brendan McKay could have taken advantage of that too I
1: I do think looking back in that it's unfortunate for McKay and I hope I wish him the best of luck to, to rebound and, and maybe become a a first baseman and try to hit that way. Looking back on that draft, what a, what a cruel and and awful first round that was. It's just like, like most drafts though. I think it's really one of those great things that sort of like pinpoint is like, God, it's picking in the draft is such a crapshoot. It is such a danger. You have Royce Lewis, number one, overall also just, Brutally hurt. Constantly. Yeah. Like, it feels like every time he's getting started, can't get there. Hunter Green looked good. It, it took him a little while to get there, but Hunter Green, a lot of... Wasn't great with the Reds, but a lot of flashy stuff and kind of interesting and exciting. Uh Mackenzie Gore. We'll see. Got him Juan Soto. So that's a that's a plus. Uh Then you got Brendan McKay. Kyle Wright, who... Seemed to be pretty mediocre for a long time, just had an amazing breakthrough yeah. year with Atlanta. So great job for there. Austin Beck, number six overall. There you go. Uh, Austin Beck. I don't know. I've not even looked in the minors, but he's still not in the majors. <laughs> uh he uh, paven smith. Eh Adam uh Hazley. Keston Hura, who has flashed and failed and flashed and failed. He's been like a bust a couple times over and now he actually looks pretty solid. So like, again, it's just like all over. Uh, Jake Berger, Joe Adele, Shane Boz. Hey, number 12. Not bad, but also hurt. Trevor Rogers, amazing one year, injured and not great this year. Uh, Nick Prado, like just, it's incredible. You have a whole list. You have Evan White in there, number seventeen overall, who got uh, that that big early contract um, with the Mariners, hurt and like just kind of disappeared. That's like multiple years ago. That is seventeen names, and you have like three in there that you would really want right <laughs> now. <laughs> it's maybe four. I you'd, you'd still want Gore uh, and maybe Hura, uh, but like Joe Adele is like really struggling. He you could sell him for pennies on the dollar. So it's one of those things where I, I I don't I'm not you know I don't feel like awful looking back and be like gosh the Rays blew it in that draft it's one of those things where it's just like that's just prospects will break your heart that's what it is they
0: sure will um so yeah Brendan McKay looks like his I mean maybe he comes back on another deal I don't know um I'm, I'm not I I'm haven't worried about Brendan McKay for a couple of years now so I'm not going to worry about him uh, here as well. Uh, last bit of news that came a few days ago: um, Former uh, president of baseball ops for the the Rangers, John Daniels, has joined the race for an office as uh, a senior advisor to uh, for baseball operations. I, I think that's a, somewhere along the lines of his title. Um, a a bit of interesting news, shocking news: the Rays for for a, a, a role like this, which is kind of a new role uh, don't typically hire you know externally and usually you see you know that they've been in-house promotions for every job really unlike the coaching staff side and on the front office side um but john daniels in the front office
1: um darby thoughts i think it's a really fun and really surprising but really interesting move uh daniels was one of the i feel like it's like he was you know eric neander before eric neander mm-hmm. a very young very talented uh upstart gm who took over the rangers ran him for forever i mean he was he was him and like andrew friedman were this like new wave of like uh hot shot gms and and he had fairly good success with the rangers the series like twice Yeah. I mean, like really successful and, and his, his um, being let go by the Rangers seemed very abrupt and very surprising, even though he had been with them for a long, long time. Uh, It feels like obviously a change in course was what they were going for, but um, yeah, the very, very surprising ad, but it's somebody that comes with a ton of experience. He's a really smart GM and that's like a guy that I think overall, when, when you're a team like the Rays, who, who gets poached a lot, it's very rare to add somebody in, especially from, from outside of the house. And I think that's very, very helpful. Uh, as smart and as great as the brain trust is in, 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 in Tampa Bay, and as talented as so many of those front office executives are, you know, the Rays are constantly promoting with from within, they're constantly getting poached from without. And, and adding somebody in that gives a different perspective, or at least is offering a a new idea that's not in this, that has not been from somebody that has spent their entire career with the Rays, has been kind of with them at every step of the way. I think that is incredibly helpful. Just diversity of opinions, diversity of minds is just really helpful in every form, in every world, in the corporate world, in, in business, in, in, baseball, in sports. It's not just having everybody that's basically maybe had a bit of a bubble of what they're thinking. And maybe John Daniels has a similar idea, but it's then coming, it's maybe confirming like, okay, that's not crazy. Cause this guy is coming from outside with a ton of his own experience and is able to weigh in on, on a lot of these decisions.
0: I think one of the pitfalls of, of sustained success in in the Rays have been building something under Eric Neander for a few years now, and, and they've made the postseason for four straight years. Is you, you fall into groupthink, right? You, you, like you me- mentioned, Darby, they've had a lot of people just promoted internally, and just how refreshing it can be and how effective it can be to just get a new perspective. And yeah. listening to Daniels, he was on Neil Solon's podcast, uh, the This Week in Race Baseball podcast, and uh, it kind of sounded like he maybe had like a mentor mentee relationship with neander as he was coming up um you know in the baseball world and taking over the rays when um friedman left and then a few years later you know becomes the 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 gm and i i think it's it's a cool opportunity i don't know what his role is going to be i mean like his day-to-day role he he said he's going to stay in texas um I, i i wouldn't look too much into this hiring other than i think it's it's cool that there's there's someone new in the building or not in the building on the on, on the, in the building through
1: Zoom. <laughs> Zoom, yeah, exactly. Well, in in the modern world, I feel like you can you can be connected. Like you don't necessarily need. There might to be a Microsoft Teams organization. To, I don't know. I uh, yeah, maybe we'll see. They've they good uh, crowdsourcing, less less hacks, I guess. Um, I think the one other thing there is that John Daniels also has built is a very long career in baseball. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of connections, so you might have access to different relationships that you don't have, or a different way of looking at that relationship. You know, Eric DeAnder has a good working relationship with a bunch of different GMs. We know certain teams that like they connect with a lot. There's a lot of guys that used to be with the Rays that are elsewhere that you know that there's a good connection there. John Daniels, maybe there's a different avenue with a different team that he can help with, or a different agent. You know, he has worked with Scott Boris a lot more successfully than the Rays have. Maybe there is something there. In all honesty, though, I think it's just one of those great, just another smart guy in the room, uh, or at least in the virtual room. And it's not too dissimilar. I I think JT mentioned this uh, in our Slack, but it's kind of, it also reminds me of the similar way. And it reminded him of, of basically when Alex Anthopoulos joined the Dodgers, in between his sojourn from the Blue Jays yeah. to the Braves. And it's unsure if John Daniels is looking to get back into running a baseball team uh, anytime soon. Or maybe if he, he did sound like an, on the podcast with Neil, which I, I could not uh, stress enough. You should definitely go download. It. It's a great Daniels is a really good listen, And Neil always asks the best questions. Like he asked every question I wanted to know. So it was great. Yeah, every time I was thinking like, I, you, you know what? I I'd really like him to, if he could tell me like what, and then Neil would ask it. So <laughs> it's always great. Um, but I, I feel like Daniels even was talking about, you know, he has a wife. He has a couple of kids and, you know, being a GM, it's a most of the year job and it's yeah. a most of the day job. And so it's, you miss a lot of family time. And so it might be an opportunity for he him to help the Rays in any way that he can. Uh, you know, they don't necessarily need to have another high-level executive, but he can maybe help be a sounding board. He can he said he's gonna be there at the winter meetings. Like again, his network, his connections, some his some of his ideas. Great to have it uh, you know, in the room, so to speak. And then he can kind of wait it out spend time with the family more and maybe if the right job comes around he doesn't have to be picky he can choose who he wants to work for and uh and decide to get back into the swing of things
0: yeah definitely i'm uh i'm i'm, I'm excited it was it was definitely some some interesting news so we're gonna take a quick break and on the other side start to break down some of the roster moves that took place today so we'll be right back And we're back on Raise Your Voice, going over some of the moves the Rays needed to make to trim down their 40-man roster in order to add some of the Rule 5 eligible prospects. We'll, we'll talk about some of those players in a little bit, but wanted to start by talking about the trades to, to make that room on the 40-man roster. Uh, the first one we kind of caught wind of today was Miles Mastroboni going to the Chicago Cubs. Mastroboni, kind of a you know an infielder that stuck around in the minors for a bit, got his cup of coffee, uh, with the Rays this year, and is now with the Cubs. <laughs> that
1: that's all I got on that, Darby. I mean, these trades. I feel like we just need to like kind of go through because I I'm not going to provide great intel. I can I can regurgitate what I've also read from people, but like, yeah, a lot of these these are shuffling. Uh, yeah. These are these are nice shuffling. And what the Rule 5 draft does and this deadline kind of does is it allows for, for what this is, right? A guy like a Miles Mastroboni, this is a perfect opportunity. The Cubs, he has an opportunity for a lot of playing time that he wouldn't have gotten here. And so that's great. That could, this could help him in his career. Um, in, in this situation, the Cubs have always been an interesting target because they have a lot of interesting like lower down pieces and the Rays have clearly been keeping tabs. Jason Adam, was pitching with them didn't work out they released him Rays pick him up comes an all-star pitcher uh Harold Ramirez just sitting there the Cubs are like hey where's your Esteban Quiros? we'll, we'll give him a shot yep. didn't work out they released him Harold Ramirez pretty darn solid yeah. so yeah the Cubs you know Cubs and the Rays they they wanted to link up again and get another one of those middle infielders and well the Rays middle infield shop is still looking pretty good Yep. Yeah, so so Master Ronda the Cubs, Brett Wisely,
0: who was not on the 40 man but was a rule five eligible prospect, was traded to the San Francisco
1: Giants. We kind of expected some of those type of moves, which which is always interesting because I know a lot of fans always think, um, you know, if this guy is on a lot of the like the baseball America rule five, like best prospects to you know that are available in the rule five, why couldn't you have traded him for something? Mm-hmm. The two reasons for that why you wouldn't. One Uh, it is very difficult to lose a guy in the rule five because once they're taken, they have to stick the entire year. So there's a good chance he comes back. Two, you maybe don't, there's not going to be a lot of trade value there because Mm -hmm. teams could also get him for free later on. But in this situation, there are teams that are going to want to either jump the line uh, to to select a guy that they really like. So like Brett Wisely, the Rays aren't going to add him. And have a long-term plan for him he's probably going to get taken or more than likely going to get taken they you know the rays know the industry value uh they know what people like are interested in and maybe what aren't and teams inside the industry they, they kind of have a good sense of like this guy has a very good chance of getting taken the the giants they are they do not have as much talent as the rays do right now and so they have a room on their 40 man that they can add him and not risk exposing him and that's an opportunity not only to add brett wisely but not have to uh expose him to the 40 man or for the rule five draft and not have to play him in the major leagues right away and risk the whole year-long thing it's now kind of circumventing the year-long uh in the in the major leagues which can be hard for the development so that's that's one interesting thing with the teams that did trade for Rule Five eligible players around the league that had an open forty-man spot to be able to add them to them because just for whatever reason they they have an opening they want to add them and they don't want to have to do the whole song and dance of one year.
0: And there's another guy that was Rule Five eligible that was moved in another deal. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, Bly Madras, designated for assignment. Um, never appeared for the Rays. Was was picked up off waivers from Pittsburgh. I think is like, a, oh, maybe we'll need an extra bat this year. Let's get a guy just to
1: fill our roster. He um, did do well with Durham, so yeah. good for the postseason. So yeah, they brought uh, in a ringer.
0: Ring. <laughs> they won a ring. You know, he helped them win. Uh, Javi Guerra, interesting pitcher. I think um, probably, maybe not the most shocking, but one that made you, you know, it, it was definitely not out of the realm of possibility that he was going to be DFA'd. Um, but one they go. Oh, okay. I,
1: I might have kept him,
0: but you need to make the space. Understood. And the he Rays have a very options. good forty-man roster,
1: so he he was out of options, and that's the big thing with a pitcher out of options. The Rays had a very, the Rays still have a very tight bullpen of guys that either don't have options or are too good, and their options don't matter. Like you're not uh, Pete Fairbanks still has an option. Are we really going to drop him down there? No, of course not. So. You know, Jason Adam, I think, still has an option. These are not guys that you option. The other guys, like Sean Armstrong, uh, Garrett Clevenger, like there's guys without options that you can't move and you can't do a, a shuttle with. So Javi Guerra is one of those. And yeah, I, I, I like the pitcher. He's a converted shortstop. So still very, very raw. But the, the, the fastball, the two-seam fastball sinker is so live really has a lot of potential and he, and he grew a lot with the raise so I, I think whoever whoever decides to pick him up I think they got a pretty that's an interesting guy out there that somebody should absolutely take that's your potential of like a, a this year's Jason Adam you know there's a lot of guys that are in the potential and most will not make it and maybe none will but that's a guy that I think somebody should absolutely pick up and and potentially could be a, a really good high leverage arm for somebody.
0: Yeah, and the, the last player that was designated for assignment, Ryan Yarbrough, um, who was um, what I thought at first when when Kevin Kiermaier, his option was declining. We were trying to figure out who the longest-tenured Ray was now. My first thought was Tyler Glass now, but I was like, no, there was a couple players that started the year on the 2018 roster, and my mind immediately went to Ryan Yarbrough and Yanni Chirinos. Yarbrough pitched in a game for the first time a day before Chirinos, But actually I forgot about Andrew Kittredge who pitched for the team in 2017. And although he became a free agent, he never signed anywhere
1: else and never pitched in the big leagues for anyone else. He didn't have a beard then. So it doesn't count. That was a different. human. He also wasn't good. Yeah. It's because he didn't have a beard yet. It's the beard is the source of all of his power.
0: That's that's all-star Andrew Kittredge. Uh, Rainforest
1: uh, uh, cafe uh, aficionado, (laughs) Andrew Kittredge.
0: Um, but, but but after Kittredge, Yarbrough was um, the longest-tenured Ray or second-longest-tenured Ray after Kiermaier was off the team. Um, but uh, Yarbrough, I think, doesn't get enough credit for, again, his place in this chapter of Ray's baseball. You look at um, all the credit that we give to, like, Ryan Stanek, right, and Sergio Romo for being the openers that season in 2018. Maybe not enough credit to the, the the bulk guy, right? Or the headliner, as I like to say. Guys like Ryan Yarbrough who are filling in those innings. Um, You had a game where I th- him and Stanek almost combined for a, a perfect game. Perfect game, yeah. Um, Ryan Yarbrough who has thrown the only complete game in the last, I don't know, like six plus years for the franchise. um, And just all around, like, a a good big league pitcher that I think we've seen the the at end of those good days, maybe. But for a, for a few years, was a very
1: good pitcher. He he gets the like Andy Sonnenstein award for like the yeah. the the guy that just there's not a lot of love for the fourth slash fifth starter who's solid, who will give you innings, who is league who average. I and mean, that's a good that's league average is the good. ode to the league average starting pitcher because there's a lot that are not. The There's a ERA, lot. Yeah. Career with the Rays, uh, 4.33 ERA, 4.15 fifths. But like to give you 500, almost 600 innings of better than league average. Those are better than league average numbers right there. That's a lot of innings. That's a lot of uh depth. And honestly, yeah. Yarbrough, it's one of those things where, again, these are these are all moves that are testament to the Rays' quality and depth. Mm-hmm. Ryan Yarbrough is better than a lot of pitchers that I saw pitch last year in starting rotations. Mm-hmm. But for the Rays, he was not good enough to crack this top five this year. And going into next year, he is not one of the six guys that I would want really in my first six. He's probably seventh, maybe eighth, like, he's, he's right there, but that's only on the Rays. There's plenty of teams. If I'm the Cardinals, I look at him as a fifth starter. There's teams that had absolute disaster classes as their fifth starters or fourth starters for that instance. Ryan Yarbrough could absolutely be uh, a really, really solid uh, impact for a lot of teams out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a little sad. I'm a local guy out of lakeland right like it's he he's oh. a guy so so you met you so you caught this this was this was interesting because they, honestly it's also like kind of a, a little bit you know conspiracy board or whatever but like you know you, we always look at topkin tweets mark topkin tweets and be like what does he really mean what is he actually hearing and what is he tweeting yeah. that's just and and he did mention in this in his tweet with like ryan Yarbrough being being dfa'd here is that uh you know faces outright waivers if there's no trade found uh and then he that means he could be free to sign with any team even the hashtag raise Mm -hmm. which is true but also a little interesting to state it so maybe you said like is there a handshake agreement behind the scenes of like if nobody if if there's no offers out there that you like come back on a minor league deal we'll make it so that it's like here here's the offer that will be here for you that you can come back as a minor league deal you'll be one of the first people we call up when there's an injury because there's always injuries and you always need more pitching depth maybe i don't know that's that's like one of those conspiracy theories i could believe i could believe that
0: yeah um so yes ryan Yarbro, we hardly knew you um other move that was made to make forty man roster space: J.T. Chagua, who was on the forty man, and Xavier Edwards, the prospect who is not uh, yet on the forty man. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's been a few. That's a few years now. So maybe if you don't remember, that's what Blake Snell referred to him as when the Rays acquired him Dur-
1: during a stream. Yeah, yeah, during, during a, a Twitch stream,
0: stream. Um, the the Rays acquired him <laughs> in a trade with San Diego. Uh, the team that Blake Snell would ultimately be traded to. Um, uh, that was the the, the Renfro fan. Hunter, fam Hunter Renfro, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so they, they were shipped off to Miami, and the Rays acquired in that deal right-handed pitcher Santiago Suarez. He's 17 years old, made 11 starts in the Dominican Summer League this year. And uh, another right-handed pitcher, Marcus Johnson, who was a fourth-round pick out of Duke this year, pitched a little bit in the Complex League and a little bit in a ball any, I mean, Darby looks like you've done a little bit of research on these guys.
1: So, so Suarez is actually, I mean, there's a bunch of people. This is the guy that like, actually a lot of people sort of mentioned around being like, that's a really interesting pickup. Somebody, uh, I forget the name. I'm blanking on it now, but a writer for baseball America was saying basically that was a good pickup. And I was, he was just about to profile him as like a, potential interesting guy another another um guy follow uh will Shug stats or at will Shug stats who's a mariners fan but you know one of the many feeling like twitter is just filled with uh, amongst other things a bunch of like 17 to 20 year old people that are like amazingly advanced in data whether it's in polling or in baseball stats it's like incredible i am Feels so old and so jealous, but uh, Will is a really good follow and he sort of talked about how he had the ninth fastest fastball for any 17-year-old in the minor leagues and just has a very interesting outlier type fastball uh, in terms of um, release point and kind of just creating that flat plane, which the Rays you've probably heard it here a lot too. And elsewhere, the Rays love a very flat plane fastball. It just, it comes out and looks weird, hard to pick up. Um, Jason Adam has that. It's one of those little like quirks that they really look for or try to get people to get to with their releases. So uh, Suarez, only 17, very, very young guy. Um, Really interesting. So that's, that is one of those, I, I don't know much about Marcus Johnson, but that is the he he's except for he's six six, which you know the Rays love their tall pitchers. Uh, Kyle Snyder just wants all of the Giants, but uh, <laughs> but but um, but yeah, uh, Santiago Suarez. That's like a name. It's gonna be you have to be waiting for a while, but he's one that is not just kind of organizational filler or a guy that's not going to be on the Rule Five for a while and just go whatever. We'll see what we got. That one might have been a target, and I know the Rays and the Marlins have hooked up quite a bit. So I think they're probably pretty familiar with a lot of a lot of those guys.
0: Yeah. Um interesting trade, Xavier Edwards, uh, a guy that was still a pretty well regarded prospect in the Rays system. Um, but ultimately again another testament as to, you know, you're not breaking through with Wander Franco at short. Maybe you come up and you play some second base, but you you still got Vidal Brujan, who still remains on the team. A guy that like going into the offseason, I thought. Maybe there'd be a trade for him by now and probably not a DFA candidate, but he is out of options. So that would, that would make things interesting. And he might be a guy that doesn't make it through the season without being DFA'd. That's yet to be seen. Um, A couple of other guys that I thought would get DFA or moved on from. Um, but Xavier Edwards is what it is. And you, maybe that was what it took to get JT Chagua off the roster and trade him to get the guys you wanted. Maybe they asked for Edwards. There are no path to the big leagues for Edwards. Maybe you didn't value him that highly either. And you make the deal.
1: It's, it's again, it, we say it, it's a testament to the depth. It's just a testament to the depth. Like, you know, Edwards is is a real prospect. Absolutely. And, and Chargoyle is a real pitcher, but he's another pitcher that's out of options. And I think that's just, you know, relievers that are not elite, that are out of options, is one of the, it's a, it's hard to keep them on the roster. It is yeah. hard to keep them on the roster.
0: Without, I guess, before we go to break, because we'll talk about Greg Jones again after the break, would you have kept Edwards and rostered him over
1: Greg Jones? I Jones has a bit higher ceiling to me. There's like a bit more power there i mean we're talking about almost no power for either of these guys i feel like he's uh, ways away from that ceiling yes that ceiling's high but- they're both are they both are like i don't think either of these guys are really going very far. i think i think the key is with with this it's i mean i think it's it's bosby and then and is then that said, is that how that's said i have no idea like the, None of these people are making the major leagues, uh, Brett. Like, these are, like, why, why am I even trying here? These guys, like, they're going to get a cup of coffee in, like, two years and then never, like, the, the vast majority, the vast majority of these players, we are really picking through. And it's like, I don't know if Xavier Edwards is ever going to even get the cup of coffee. But, like, it, it, it's one of those things where I will have to learn the names once they become at least a triple A. At least a triple A, I feel like, and then before I can actually talk, because I'm not a prospect guy. This is this is not my forte. Uh, I can I can just sort of talk about what other people say. But if um, when you're looking at these guys, like uh, with with Bozzi, and I'll, I'll have to look at the – see how his name is pronounced, but he at least this year kind of showed some pretty good flashes of like a, of the ceiling. Still pretty raw, but that's enough that I, I don't know if any of like Greg Jones, Xavier Edwards, um Bosby, or you know, these guys are not really rule five. Like they would be really at a disservice to have to be thrust into the major leagues and survive for 162 games. So I think you just have to trust the Rays front office and their scouts to say, which of these all fairly similarly talented uh, middle infield guys with low power, which has the highest ceiling and which do you go with? And I so sort I of think with that, it's like Greg Jones, Xavier Edwards. In this situation, I think that probably Greg Jones, if i'm if I'm thinking about it, has come up more in trade talks than than Xavier Edwards has, probably. Or the trade talks with Xavier Edwards. We're really focused on uh, Suarez. And so you're basically like, we're, we're almost at the finish line there. The Greg Jones talks, we've tried to include and people are interested in enough, interested in enough that you don't want to let him be available for free and you want to keep him on the roster so that you can trade him maybe in two months within a, in a larger package. Like, I don't think anybody wants Greg Jones. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that's it. If nobody wants him, you leave him up for the rule five. And you don't, and you just, you keep, I don't know, Guerra for another day or something like that. Like, I think you 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 get rid of Ryan Yarbrough in the DFA at this point because you yeah. either have a handshake agreement or you realize like, give him an, uh, the best opportunity to, to hook up with another club because he's earned that. But Yanni Chirinos has still trade value or internal value. So you mm-hmm. don't get rid of him. I think when it comes to like Guerra, you go, Really good. We don't want to lose him, but couldn't include him in trades. But JT Chargeois had a little bit more trade value. Okay, fine. I think these are all like on the fringes moves where if there was value to be had, you would trade him. If there's not, then you just want the roster spot instead. I think with Greg Jones, I think he must have come up in some offers, and if not, you can just you can just cut him. Like you can just cut him when you trade for somebody that you like better. The next the next like five home run peak (laughs) power middle infielder with 99th percentile speed and and the ability to maybe go like you you get the next guy in the trade as a throw in from Oakland in the Sean Murphy trade. And that's the guy that takes, you know, Greg Jones's spot, or maybe, maybe Oakland's like, yeah, we can, we, we love weird middle infielders. So we'll take Greg Jones. I don't know. That's the, that's the thing is all I'm thinking with this is that, there is a potential that, that Greg Jones' name came up more, which is why you move to to hold him. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Darby, I think you kind of hit it at the larger point there, and we talked a lot about Greg Jones. There were four other players added to the 40-man roster and some interesting names that were left off. So we'll take one more quick break, and on the other side, we'll wrap this up, and uh, we'll raise our voices a little bit. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. We mentioned Greg Jones in the last segment. He was one of the five players added to the 40-man roster. The other four were Taj Bradley, Curtis Mead, the, the two kind of no doubts. They're they're probably in terms of being closest to big league ready, like the two top prospects in the race system right now. Curtis Mead, just an amazing hitter, probably gonna be a corner infielder. Uh, Taj Bradley, then you know, the next great race pitching prospect, and hopefully the next great race pitcher. Uh, the, the other two Colby white, a relief pitcher um, out of Mississippi state, um, who looked to be like, potentially have a big league impact as early as last year, uh, underwent Tommy John surgery. He won't pitch to, at least for most of the season, probably not the entire season still needed to add him. Once the season starts, you can put him on the 60 day IL. So, um, he, which I don't know, would he avoid having to use an option then this season?
1: Not sure how that works. Yeah, me yeah. neither.
0: Me neither. Uh, and the last Might, one was but, Oslavis I, I, Basabe. Ba, I Basabe. Don't know. I don't know. We we're kind of going back and forth on how to pronounce that. But does
1: baseball does baseball reference? Let me let me do it because I don't I I don't want to be right insulting uh Who's actually a pretty good. I mean, he is a really good prospect. So <laughs> let's. You continue and let me. I'll find his. Okay. I'll find his.
0: Um, so, anyways, uh, that those were the players added. Um, like I said, Bradley and Mead, guys that could have an impact as early as this season. Um, I know Meade, dealing with some injuries towards the end of last year, might need some time to, before you know the race determines he's bigly ready. There would also need to be kind of room for him. I don't know if there's room for him on an active roster that includes Yanni Diaz and Isak Paredes. Um, but, you know, injuries happen, trades happen. Harold Ramirez is also on that active roster. Who knows what the roster is going to look like come opening day. And uh, we'll see what Curtis Mead's impact is. Taj Bradley, however, I think we we probably will see next year at some point, whether it is a spot starter or too, or whether or not moves happen, trades are made, injuries happen, and he is forced into into the rotation. Um, both really exciting prospects, and we're definitely must-adds because they both would have been the first picks in the Rule 5 draft i think if not yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Uh, of course yeah I, I, I do have it uh i think you were you were the closest you were right so it's oslavis basabe basabe okay according to the uh charleston river dogs gotcha. uh, official guide so um oslavis basabe uh, i'm going to start remembering the name because He's going to break out next year and it's yeah, going to be the course.
0: new hotness. Of course. Yeah. Um. So, so he was, uh, he was added. And I think a, a guy that's like, he's a, he's a prospect worth keeping at this point. Like there's enough value there to say like, okay, we'd like to have him for a little bit longer to see how he develops.
1: Somebody would have absolutely taken him and then like had to f- just, just done a year of barely a kind of lost development just to hold him on the roster. Like some yeah. some team some bad team would have had him and just like had a basically a roster spot where he just like kind of defensive replacement, uh, just to keep him on the roster and then have him for next year. He was one of the key pieces back in the the uh, Nate Lowe or Nathaniel Lowe uh, trade. Um, the other one did not get added, uh, Herberto Hernandez, who is a really gifted hitter without any position. He has no defensive position. Um, he catcher slash first baseman is what he's listed at, but I don't, I pretty, he's pretty much a DH. um. So possibly could be a guy that somebody takes, but seems unlikely, seems unlikely. So um. yeah, I think, I think with uh, Basabe, he's, he is, I think when you look at the pile of middle infielders, he is clearly the best of them. And the highest ceiling of them. And so you absolutely have to keep him at least for one more year, because this is like your, this is the the chance where he can join the AAA and then is he, does he say, does he sink? Does he swim? Let's see what happens and have him be on the roster. And then he's maybe a trade guy, or maybe he's a guy that like, oh, we can't trade him. He is really clicking now.
0: Yeah. Um, a, an interesting prospect, and just another one of these infielders that the Rays just seem to have an endless supply of. You mentioned Herberto Hernandez. I think the more interesting side of this is is the players who weren't added. Some guys that um, had a chance. Herberto Hernandez, probably the biggest one. Blake Hunt, another one. The Rays left him off last year, and everybody was sure that he would have been taken had there been a Rule Five draft. There was not, and then he proceeded to have a pretty terrible year. In the minors last year any chance a guy like Blake Hunt who was looking at the Blake Snell trade and the four pieces you got back in that you had you know Luis Patino, who's had an up-and-down development since he got with the Rays Francisco Mejia who's been a really solid second catcher on the roster Cole Wilcox who had, you know had Tommy John surgery but it, it, I think it's still a promising um, pitching prospect and mm-hmm. friend of the pod Um, and, uh, then Blake Hunt, who was kind of like this, maybe the most interesting piece, the guy that the Rays really wanted, maybe the catcher of the future. Um, but now, I mean, I don't know where he stands as a prospect in their eyes, but clearly not good enough to be added to the 40 man roster yet. The,
1: the, the, the thing there is that I I think this is a guy that you risk the, um, -hmm. being taken because catching is the, takes the longest to develop. It is a really hard and demanding position. And Blake Hunt is a very talented defensive catcher. The bat will take time. He, I don't think he will be taken. Uh, I I actually don't. I think he's lower on the list for a lot of teams. I hope he doesn't get taken. And I think that's also, I hope that for his sake, because we have seen catchers get taken in the Rule 5, and it's really hard because that, Jump is way too big, and it takes longer than a lot of other prospects. So I think for his own development, it, I think it would be better to stick with the Rays organization. Um, we'll see, but I think that's the type of gamble where you don't want to add him to your forty man because he's not going to be ready next year um, or this year. He may not be ready next year, and so now you have to have him for two years. The Rays forty man is far too too talented to to be able to mm-hmm. hold that. So you risk it, and uh, and. There's uh, unlikely that he would be taken, but you, you never know.
0: Yeah, I'm um, hit two forty five with a three fifteen on base last year at Double A, had an eighty one WRC plus, um, didn't strike out. I mean twenty three point two percent strikeout rate. Maybe that balloons up to once he gets to the big leagues, you know, in that twenty five to thirty range for a catcher. But I don't know who cares. Um, seven percent walk rate. Um. I, I, I mean, I still haven't heard, like, any terrible things about his defense. Like, if that goes off, then obviously he's useless, but mm-hmm. not as a person, just as a big league baseball <laughs> player. Um, yes, yes. But, yeah, I mean, I do think it's it wasn't worth adding him yet. You know, he's getting no. his age 24 season. And, you know, maybe – I don't know where he'll start this year. Maybe he gets that start to Triple A. I guess it kind of – Depends on what minor league deals are given out and how the roster looks like going into spring training. Um, but if, if he starts in double a gets a chance to kind of bounce back after a rough year, or if he gets to a triple a, it's really like a prove yourself year. It's definitely like his make it or break it year as a prospect, like not to say he needs to make the big league roster this year. Cause he really doesn't have a chance to um, the Rays have, you know, three good catchers on their 40 man roster right now or two good ones. Plus Renee Pinto, who is, you know, I, I'm not freaking out if he has to play in a game. Um, in the pot- potential more advanced
1: game. as a prospect too. I yeah, mean,
0: yeah. I mean, so. well, more advanced to like where the Rays added him last year around this time to the 40 man roster. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. the big shocker that they they had this faith in Rene Pinto. And um, while I don't expect him to be you know the starting catcher very often, um, if when he gets added to the roster when somebody gets you know dinged up and needs to go on the IL, I'm pretty confident you know that he's going to do a job. Um, so, so Blake Hunt, kind of like a, a make or break year for him in terms of his development. I think, um, and, I and uh, yeah, I don't think anyone takes him. Um, Cameron Misner, another one, interesting, the Rays got him in the, the Joey Wendell trade. He's been a, I think kind of a fan favorite prospect for like certain t- Rays Twitter
1: circles. But, like, he's he's that, got a lot of power. Yeah. He's got a lot of power. He he's has not, a 30% K rate in the minors. He has a 30% K rate. This guy, if he gets it in the majors, he'll hurt his back swinging and whiffing. Like 162 games with a 30% K rate in Double A, going to the major leagues for 160. No, I I don't think he's going to be taken. If he does, again, it's another one where it's like probably will hurt his development. Yeah, no, I agree. Anybody that was left out, like it's it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk
0: again. Who is going to get taken? that the race didn't put on that's i think that's the question here
1: i think there's like one to three guys that i think could uh jose lopez is injured so you could take him and then just stash him on your 60 day which which would count that would count for the full year um of service time so that would work uh interesting pitcher, so I, i would not be surprised if somebody took him um ronnie simone Is that how you pronounce his last name? Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. had a had a really exciting end of the year in the AFL, but like again, this is another light hitting middle infielder who's
0: never played above Double A. Like who's taking? Never played (laughs) above.
1: Okay, Uh, honestly, there's whoever who is a reliever or a pitcher that could be a solid reliever. Because that's who gets taken in like the Rule Five draft. Like that's my, uh, that's my like like thing is that in the Rule Five draft, the guys that like succeed are like relievers. They're not, um, they're not like position players. It's really difficult to be a position player. The limit, the the like actual. If you really think about Rule Five guys, there's so few, and so like uh, like Ronnie Simone is he really going to be taken and I mean, you can again. You can stash a guy. You could. It's twenty six man roster. You could just have him be the twenty six guy. Yeah. But like, eh, maybe so, it's it's yeah. worth the risk, right? It's another guy that I'm like. There there is nobody on this list. Like, I would. I hope the, that Cameron uh, Misner or Misner uh, and Blake Hunt don't get selected. I, I hope they stick around with the team. I, I hope Ron, Ronnie uh, Simone sticks with the team. But like, I don't. I'm not going to be upset about any of these players being taken.
0: What about uh, Trevor Brigden?
1: I do not know who that is. <laughs> Legitimately. <laughs> I, I feel I'm sorry. I'm sorry to this man, but I do not know, <laughs> uh, I don't know who this man is. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, that he, he, honestly, that is the type of guy, right? A, a reliever in AAA who, did pretty well. There you go. That's a real five guy.
0: All right, the Minnesota Twins, I think, are going to take Trevor Brigden. I think that's a a Minnesota Twins pitcher, like if I've ever seen one. <laughs> it does
1: feel like a Minnesota Twins pitcher. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I like that. Uh, um, him. Uh, Doc Shakis
0: uh John Duck Shack, Duck Shack so team. far away he's so far away it's so raw like these are and guys like, that
1: are like what single and double a
0: he wasn't that good last year i know he had a, like he was really good in high a and like he had he's had some good stints he had a 5 6 8 era in double a over 82 innings and struck out like less than 20% of batters like uh he walked like 12% of bat like
1: you want him it's to worth pitch the risk it's, it's, <laughs> like i think there's like a ceiling there but like I, the development like i so that's the so that's the thing right i'm gonna i'm gonna skip to my raise your voice right now.
0: okay go for i'm it. gonna
1: i'm gonna do it because we're, we're near the end of the show because this are. is this all of these names it's just it's getting me it's getting me to my raise your voice. the rule five draft is one of the most interesting nothing burgers in all of baseball. This is a thing that we talk about a lot. We, we get hyped up about on Twitter. We get crazy about like this guy's available and this guy's available. And oh my God, they didn't protect this guy and they didn't treat this person. And oh my God, what if the Rays lose like all of these people? What if they raise lose? It doesn't matter. This doesn't, this is the most inconsequential thing. Now the rule five draft, there's two things about it. It is really important for some players who get blocked because there's a lot of talent on some teams that are just crowded out. Uh, There's really interesting middle infield talent on the Rays that just have no hope of making to the major leagues because there's so many guys to hop over. And so it is really crowded. But all this Rule 5 draft this year being the, the most like potentially stacked Rule 5 draft ever, all that tells me is that we are gonna be in a great time and great place for MLB expansion. Once the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays have their stadium situations figured out, then two new teams are needed because there's a lot of talent and it needs to be spread around. If there are 10 people that could be selected in a Rule 5 draft, you have too much talent and you need two more teams because that is far, far, far too many. The Rule 5 draft is for... Just giving some guys that are near the major leagues that should have a chance, but they're just too crowded out a chance. It is not for whatever that is that some fans think it's for. It's it's just, it's too packed, right? So, okay, a couple of years ago, the Rays, the last time the Rule 5 draft occurred, there's the major league portion, there's the minor league portion. The Rays altogether had seven selections, one in the major league portion and six in the minor league portion. Can you name three of those names I don't, right now? I don't even remember.
0: I don't even remember who the the, the big. I mean, if a, you tell me, I'll remember. But I don't remember off the top of my head who the big leaguer that was, or the guy that was taking the big the, league portion.
1: The Miami Marlins took this player. Mm, nope, still don't know. It was Paul Campbell. Oh, I don't know wow. how he did. How
0: could I forget,
1: Paul? Campbell. I don't know how he did. It doesn't matter. Uh, the other, the <laughs> the other six names: uh, Amador Arias, a second baseman. Don't look him up. It doesn't matter. Uh, Matt Crook. Hey, one of the pieces of the Longoria trade. Um, Nicholas Padilla. Uh, Johan. <laughs> Jan Leiter Salinas. I think he was like in the Geyer trade, maybe, uh, <laughs> Roy Reimer, Roy Bolivia, Bolivar, Justin Marsden. Uh, I, I Who cares? Who I, cares about any of these people? Like the, like the baseball is so packed with people and this is moving around. And honestly, it's good for these players. Like, I'm glad they get an opportunity, but like Ryan Thompson was a minor league rule five pick, yeah. uh, for the Rays. One of one of the better ones of that group, right? That is the level yeah. that you should be like, yes, we nailed it. And you, the Rays did nail it because Ryan Thompson was from the Houston Astros organization. They are packed with great talent. The Rays were like, we like that guy too. We took him and he's been exceptional. That is like the 99th percentile outcome for a rule five pick. There are Garrett Whitlock was a great pick for the 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 Red Sox. Um, you got a couple other guys like Zach Pop. Like this is we spend so much time fretting about all of the players the Rays could lose. Nobody will remember any of these people in like two years. Nobody will remember the talent. Joey Ricard has been one of the biggest losses the Rays had, and it's only because he played really good against only the Rays. He was terrible against everybody else, but he just dominated the Rays, and that's the only reason we remember him. Uh, Tyler Goodell. Remember when he got taken by the Phillies and it was like, God, that was a big top 15 prospect for the Rays at the time? Nothing. Nowhere. Have you thought of Tyler Goodell or Godel or whatever his pronounced his name? any time in the last 10 years? No. If you said yes, you're a damn liar or you're (laughs) insane or you're Tyler Goodell and you can tell me how you pronounce your name. Uh, the, the, The Rule 5 draft is really interesting. It's good for certain players. It can be disastrous for others who get selected and their development is absolutely rushed and ruined. But overall, All it is, is shuffling some parts. So do not fret, raise fans. Do not get too excited or too low. If you are a good team, you should not have any room to select in the Rule 5 draft. You should have already added your players. And if you're a good team, you should have people being taken in the Rule 5 draft. That means you have so much talent that you have extra talent. And then not all of that extra talent will even be taken and they'll be available for you later on. The Rays should always have like five names that you're like, wow, these guys can all be taken in the Rule 5 draft. Maybe two of them will, and neither will ever amount to anything.
0: And, and the Rays, like, I mean, they know which of their – like, obviously, you can't predict which prospects you're going to have great major league careers. That just kind of happens. But like, they're not going to just leave a guy unprotected that they really like.
1: <laughs> the, the the most impactful one in like history, or not history, that, that's Johan uh, Santana, yeah. probably. You have Josh Hamilton mm-hmm, in The mm-hmm. Rays History is the biggest one. But there's a fairly large asterisk of yeah. severe drug abuse. Like, that is a person whose life had to be turned around and then unfortunately eventually relapsed again. But like, That was how many first round picks with tons of talent Mm. have thrown it away due to hard narcotics abuse that then become available in the rule five. I'm not looking at the list and seeing any of those guys available. That is a completely once in a blue moon lifetime circumstance that is way beyond anything that happens year in and year out. We are talking about prospects who are Solid, fine, but not spectacular. And I don't know, like, like Akil Badu was a recent uh, rule five success. He has been solid, but that's a solid league average. That's a league average outfielder. And this last year, he was actually below league average. (laughs) Like that's, like, that's not, that is the level of like, my God, we lost. If Cameron Meisner uh, becomes Akil Badu, that is like the the worst case scenario, I guess, for the Rays front office. But and the like, Rays aren't trying to get the Akil of the world. And that's the thing, right? This 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 deadline, this 40-man roster deadline, was basically a bunch of moving parts. And they did trade away a lot of Major League-ready assets for non-Major League-ready assets. But the thing is, you do not want a 40-man roster filled with league average replacement level major league talent and that's not to say that any of the players they traded away can't become more than that but if you are basically saying like these guys are all in the maybe one win above replacement level range that is not good enough you need to not be in the stockpiling lotto tickets business that are major league ready you need to be in the well we'll deal with this guy in like five years when he's rule five eligible that's five years of like time that we get to like prepare with this person in the meantime you are opening up roster spaces because now you're adding your curtis meads and your taj bradley's who you need to add and you have the opportunity to trade others to get actual impact mm-hmm. talent onto the roster you are replacing the major league ready league average solid players with impact that's what you need to do ceilings are what you're looking for Impact in the major leagues is what you're looking for. You're not looking for replacement level throughout the roster.
0: I think to end the show, um, I've got to read off Paul Campbell's stat line with uh, for 2021 with the Marlins. He pitched 26 and two-thirds innings with a 6.41 one ERA. Uh, he appeared in 16 games and gave up uh, 19 runs, including five home runs. He then uh, went back down to Triple A, so I'm guessing there. I think the I think I do remember there being like a trade because if you if you send him down, you've got to give the team that you took him from something or send him back. I think it was like cash considerations. I think like the, they were, hey, do you guys want Paul Campbell back? And the Rays were like, Nah, he's all yours. There
1: was like there was like five hundred bucks <laughs> and yeah.
0: um, And then he pitched eight innings in Triple A this year and had an eleven two five ERA, so maybe some injury problems there. Uh, but yes paul campbell and i can't remember the last time the rays like actually selected someone in the rule five draft in the major league portion
1: i cannot remember a time and there there was a time i'm I'm sure sure, yes
0: i'm sure they have
1: but but...
0: well i mean now if you're not excited for the rule five draft if you're listening to this podcast But I mean, it, but rule it, five draft
1: catch the fever
0: and it's not to discredit. it like the deadline is there like still for a reason. You still had to add the Bradleys and the Meads of the world, but it's not like this big. Um, again, I was looking forward to this because I thought this might force some teams into some trade talks that might snowball into some of the the bigger deals that
1: we expect to see at some point this winter. Um, and this probably, the conversations for the trade that happens later probably happened right now, but they were not quite ready. Maybe both teams weren't quite ready to pull the trigger yet, but they were like, okay, okay, we kind of got the framework, but let's, uh, you know, give me another like two weeks. I mean, want we'll to go to the Thanksgiving. Let's just, I don't want to, I don't want to have to answer this at the family. Like, why did I trade uh, Curtis Mead for Sean Murphy? Just let me, give me like a week and then we'll, we'll talk after that.
0: Right, and we already had the GM meetings, but like I think, I think the booze flows a little bit more at the winter meetings. You know, a little bit of social lubrication for those those big time trades. So, let everybody go home, enjoy their Thanksgiving. We'll meet up again in December. I don't know. I think they're still back bouncing back and forth between Vegas and Orlando. That's like every national conference is just oh, one year <laughs> Vegas, one year Orlando. Um, so the winter meetings run the same way too. I think I don't know. I haven't checked where the winter meetings are. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, the, the stove is, is we're preheating the oven right now. Stove's coming on. It's getting hot. It's not there yet, but, um, Anthony Rizzo signed a two year deal today.
1: Yeah, there you go. There's something exciting. Another guy, that,
0: yeah, another guy, the race can't sign, but, um, leaves the money out there for Aaron judge. So there you go. Darby. Thanks for coming on. i I, I really enjoy your, your, your take and your perspective on the rule five draft. And, uh. Discussing all the prospects that were left off that will surely have a huge impact on the future of this organization.
1: We're going to rue the day when John Ducks Axis uh, closes out game seven of the World Series against us. Against the Rays, for sure. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you guys for, for tuning in and listening. If you want every new episode of uh, on the D-Race Bay Podcast Network downloaded directly to your device, make sure to subscribe or follow to our podcast network on your preferred platform. As always, make sure to head on over to dracebay.com to check out all of the great race coverage. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>